I know for certain that um, I wouldn't be where I am right now if it weren't for sort of the key help of, you know, a handful of very, very dedicated mentors of mine who helped, who turned into investors, who've turned into advisors, who've just been lifelong friends, whatever it might be, who kind of just give first um, and, you know, create this sense of there's nothing required in return. They're just doing things sort of out of their own, um, out of their own desire. Caution. Listening to this podcast may motivate you to make positive changes in your life, identify ways to accelerate your career trajectory, and develop a path towards financial freedom. This is the Career Meets World podcast, and I'm your host, Edward Gorbis, and I've spent the last 10 years focused on helping thousands of people advance their career while in parallel teaching a secret recipe to reach financial independence. And I'm here to share the untold stories of successful people and teach thousands of listeners how to develop a growth mindset. Our minds are malleable, and everyone has the power to change their mindset through perseverance, dedication, and a passion for learning. So if you're ready to skyrocket your business and financial literacy, turn up the volume and let's dive right in. This is the Career Meets World podcast. Super excited for today's show. With us, we have Genevieve Ryan Belair, who's the founder and CEO of Real World a startup that helps young people navigate adulthood and major life moments. Genevieve has a broad array of professional experience across business, law, and government. She's an attorney by profession and received her JD and MBA from Georgetown University, and most recently worked on strategic partnerships at Goldman Sachs. Genevieve received her BA in politics and international relations from Princeton University, where she held numerous campus leadership roles and graduated with honors in her department. Beyond her work in the entrepreneurial world, Genevieve's passionate about women's empowerment, education, and national security. We have a lot to discuss today, and thanks so much for joining our show today, Genevieve. How's your day going? It's good, Edward. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Of course, it's certainly our pleasure. And I'm excited to talk a lot about what you've accomplished over the last few years and certainly throughout the rest of your career. Uh, Over the last few years, you spent time building up this incredible company called The Real World to help a lot of young adults. And your mission is quite simple. It's to simplify adulthood. What is that? (laughs) What does that mean to you? And what does that really look like in terms of the helping process for your audience? Yeah, of course. Well, thank you. You're too kind. Thanks for the kind words. Um, That's exactly it is, you know, adulthood as we see it. And when we say adulthood, we mean things like dealing with your personal finances, healthcare, taxes, retirement savings, all of these big decisions you have to make as a young adult, but also, you know, as you get older, they're all just really friction filled. Um, There's not really a simple place where you can find the documents, the tools, the vocabulary, the kind of step-by-step guidance that you need to make those smart decisions throughout the course of your life. And particularly around big life moments, like graduating from school, starting your first job, uh, paying back student loans, you know, things like that. And so our mission at Real World is really to provide that centralized platform and and community that helps you navigate adulthood and those big life moments on your own time. Um, And be really a trusted partner and sort of sidekick for you as you're navigating um, life. I love that. I think when we first spoke about 30, 45 days ago, we had talked about this idea that community is so important because oftentimes when we were entering our career, 
we weren't afforded that type of assistance or help. And now you've built out this platform that really helps people kind of navigate through those fine moments in life and help them understand what it is they could be doing and should look at potentially as options for them early on in their career. And what you just mentioned is near and dear to my, my heart is thinking about these moments that are challenging and there are a lot of life moments that happen. So if we think about your own personal life and what you've potentially gone through, think about maybe one of the most challenging moments early on in your career, what happened and how did you overcome that moment? Yeah, so I can give you just kind of, I'll give you a couple of examples. I think from a purely tactical kind of adulting perspective, um, just starting your first job and really having to figure out um, the paperwork you fill out on your first day, the W-4 forms, I-9 forms, health insurance paperwork, 401ks, you know, all of these things. When I was starting out, um, I, you know, take a step back. When I was starting my first job, I was actually 26 years old. So I had gone straight from college into graduate school. I got a JD MBA after I graduated from college. And so when I was entering the workforce, I was kind of older than the typical person. So I was dealing with all of that new day um, phenomenon and paperwork, but at a later stage than most people. And so that was a, a major challenge in my mind because it was this moment that was really kind of like embarrassing as a young adult in the sense that I was really lucky to have a great education, but when it came to these practical real world things that everyone goes through and everyone has to deal with, I pretty much had no idea what I was doing and you know made all the typical mistakes that most people do when they're starting out. And so that was sort of like a micro challenge for me, but was also part of this longer term thinking and longer term just development of this concept that um, for real world that I just became obsessed with when I was in my you know mid to late 20s of there, sh there should be some sort of a platform or something that helps you with that. So I think from just a, a micro challenge perspective, that, that's one example I can point to that actually had long term impact on me in, the, in a positive way in terms of starting this business. Um, but I think something that, you know, really everybody deals with when it comes to their career is feeling like they're on like the track and feeling like they've sort of made the right steps or decisions or, you know, set themselves up for success in a way where they're pursuing this long-term vision of their career and really having a sense as to what that long-term vision even is. So, you know, I studied politics in school um, in college. I was focused on international relations. I was actually really interested in national security. And so when I graduated from school, I went straight to law school and I chose to go to Georgetown um, to get my law degree because they had a really robust national security program. And so my idea um, of my career path was to go into public service and, and focus on sort of national security from a high level perspective and bring sort of that legal lens to it and be a lawyer and, and sort of do that whole thing. And I realized pretty quickly in that first year, and, and this was sort of, I'd say the, the biggest, um, or one of many pivots, I guess I made throughout my, my early career years was that I, I didn't see I love the idea of national security and I loved studying it, but when it came to my career, it just wasn't really a fit. And so I learned that fortunately pretty quickly in my graduate school uh, years. And so I ended up applying to the MBA program to uh, get that JD MBA at Georgetown and, and really kind of transition more into a business oriented career and, and one that I, I hoped would ultimately take me in some way to the entrepreneurship world. Um, I didn't have any ideas or anything to start businesses, but I just was so inspired by kind of the public service that, um, you know, social impact companies were doing. So businesses that were for profit, but had, you know, underlying sustainability or social or, you know, otherwise impact oriented missions that 
they were able to create real change the same way that public servants and government and, and other avenues are able to create, um, but through creating their own sustainable businesses. So that was one kind of challenge to my uh, quote unquote like track that I had designed for myself, you know, having applied for law school when I was um, a junior in college, getting into the program I wanted, going there, starting all of my coursework and then sort of realizing, wait a second, this is probably not the career career that I really want. Genevieve, there's so much that you just shed light on right now. And I love the fact that you talked about your passion and interest for national security and pursuing that route. However, you recognize that it didn't necessarily mirror what you wanted to do going forward. And you made this important pivot throughout your career. So I really want to understand, first of all, what was the interest behind national security? But the second part is, what made you realize and feel comfortable with the fact that I've spent X amount of time early on in my life investing in understanding and learning national security, going to school to pursue that career path, and then ultimately realizing now is a time to pivot and now I have to change? Yeah. So, I mean, just to the, for the interest in national security, so this is, this always surprises people when I talk about kind of my early um, career interest, given that I'm now in tech and working in education, it's a very different world. But I think the, the thing that really, I don't know what the right word is, but really inspired me initially to be interested in that space was kind of my own personal experience of growing up in Washington, D.C. Um, and being, you know, in eighth grade or seventh or eighth grade when 9-11 happened um, and sort of watching the, world changed very quickly and sort of our understanding of what it meant to be secure as a nation and sort of what national security meant um, and, and homeland security meant just over the course of the years that followed. Um, I sort of grew up around people who were in the military, um, understanding, you know, this idea and being in Washington, D.C., this sort of mentality of public service was always very close to my heart and, and something that I saw day to day um, just in that environment. And so I always I always had that idea of going into public service in some capacity um, and national security just seemed like a really tangible way to create environments for um, for prosperity. Um, if you think about it, you know, in order for economies to work, in order for people to have jobs, in order for people to be healthy, in order for all of these good things to happen and for um, you know, people to thrive, you have to have a safe environment. And so when you look at economies and, and countries where um, there are national security concerns, it disrupts all of that progress, it disrupts everything. Um, and so the way that I started looking at it was that national security ultimately really is about creating sustainable, peaceful environments for um, economic opportunity, for social opportunity, for educational opportunity. And ultimately, those populations can be impacted power to kind of reach their highest goals and, and sort of reach their highest potential. So there was really kind of a, a layer of thinking there that um, went into just the interest in the space. And, and part of it was too, that it was just such a complex and changing world when it came to um, national security, particularly, you know, like mid 2000s into, you know, 2011 when I graduated from school. But I think that same thinking uh, to your second question of how was it okay to then kind of go off that track was that, I sort of just came to the other realization, which is that actually, you know, national security creates those opportunities and sort of safe environments, but economic opportunity is paramount to economies and countries thriving and being able to have, you know, entrepreneurs creating businesses, creating ideas is its own form of empowerment and sort of um, opportunity for folks as, as they live their day-to-day -day lives. And it's so important to have uh, resources and tools for people who are starting businesses because that's what really creates growth. 
Um, it's not, you know, macroeconomic policy. It's really people at the grassroots level who are starting businesses and, and sort of giving back to their own community and reinvesting in their community and, and creating jobs. So I think that that same thesis actually carried over to the want to go into business and really more focus on that social layer of business. And I, it definitely wasn't like an overnight process. It took a lot of thinking and sort of, um, you know, ruminating on the fact that I had already gone down this track and I was in law school and all these different things. And I think at the end of the day, what I also realized, and I very much believe to this day, is that having a law degree has been so helpful and being a, you know, a lawyer, I'm barred in, in the state of California, um, being a lawyer and having a law degree has been so helpful um, in really every day of my life, but also specifically starting a business and understanding the different concerns and, and things you need to think about, whether it's contracts or how partnerships are structured or really hiring people, you know, all of these different things. So it wasn't a day wasted um, in sort of that longer term career trajectory. If we look back again to your answer around national security and your interest behind it, a lot of it has stemmed from the fact that the world went through a chaotic moment, unfortunately, during 9-11 back in 2001. And it kind of triggered this thought for you where I want to have impact, I want to empower people, and I want to be a part of that community specifically. If we relate that to what's happening right now with the ongoing pandemic, I think we're seeing a lot of people think through new and innovative ideas to support different populations and different communities. What would be your advice to people right now as they're thinking through the lens of today's world and seeking out new opportunities to either enter into a new industry, whether it's going through more of a corporate route or to potentially build out their own new business and endeavor? My number one piece of advice for anyone when their career, when they're thinking about what their career should look like is just make sure you're doing something that you care about, um, whether that's the type of role that you're in or the company you're working for, whatever you're starting, because our careers are really, really long. I mean, you know, people now switch careers every like 18 months, two years, but they're, they're a long time to put in, you know, the effort and, and work towards building something um, for yourself or for a larger company. So I think number one, just caring to some extent about what it is you're doing is super important. And I think right now, in this moment where there is so much chaos, as you said, but there's also so much opportunity to have real change, um, being able to identify those opportunities that will have an impact in your life and ideally in other people's lives is, is sort of huge is number one. I think the second thing though, is to constantly try and put yourself in environments where you're learning. Um, every step of my career has always had, and even today, starting a business is like the ultimate um, uh, learning experience because you're failing all the time and, you know, making mistakes and learning from them and growing and all of that. But I think being particularly early in your career and using the opportunities you have ahead of you, whether it's to start something on your own or to work for somebody else um, and try and train and learn as much as possible so that you can be you can sort of identify that next step for you or really make yourself the best possible um, employee or founder or whatever it is that you want to do. And right now, I think too, so much of, you know, America in particular is just opening its eyes to a lot of issues that we have in this country. And whenever there are issues, there are huge opportunities. So I think taking the time to learn as much as possible um, and then go after those opportunities in a, a sort of passionate way is um, always important. But I think right now more than ever is, is really important. I love that. And what you're really alluding to is this growth mindset and understanding that if we continuously learn and really look at what's happening in front of us, we're able to find opportunity in it. And there's so many ways of doing that. And I truthfully believe that your platform is an incredible place to 
initially learn early on what are some of those right tools that we can leverage and we can implement. So kind of if you could think about what are some of those things early on in your career that you use to help kind of guide you through your career, whether it be people or books or instruments, uh, can you share a little bit about that? The, the number one most important element of my career has been people. Um, it's been relationship building, it's been networking, whatever the word is that you want to describe it, but essentially looking at the paths of others and learning from them and learning what I like about them, what I didn't like about them, what the opportunities were and sort of what it took to get to those positions. And, and also just realizing, you know, the broad, massive scope of opportunity of types of opportunities out there um, for people. So I've had the you know, great fortune to have a number of really strong mentors throughout you know, my early career years. Um, some are people who've built businesses. Some are, are just employers who I worked for. Um, some are just friends who have you know, gone on a similar journey or a different journey, but we share a lot of the same values. And it's been amazing just to be able to rely on those people, not just for, you know, the one-off question, but for kind of that ongoing support and ongoing, um, you know, mentorship and sort of uh, sounding board. Because people who get to know you, who you really do build relationships with rather than just, you know, meet at a cocktail party or something like that, uh, they stay in your life and they can be with you and sort of part of that journey um, alongside you as you're creating your career. And, And I think in my case, you know, I had one mentor in particular who I got to know in business school um, in that JD MBA program. And she had been a very successful business person herself. She had um, gone on to create her own foundation and, and sort of was focused more on impact and, and creating, you know, inclusivity around entrepreneurship, particularly focused on women entrepreneurs and, and um, founders of color and being able to kind of promote their businesses and help them gain access to capital and all of these different things. And uh, having her as part of the earliest phases of my career before I, I finished school, before I actually started a business to this day, she's still someone I go back to and, um, rely on for support and rely on for mentorship. But the foundation that we built, you know, five years ago, uh, is what makes it possible to have those more vulnerable conversations with her and, and with people like that. So that, they, they're not, you know, they're more than just skin deep. They're, they're really something where you can um, have this, I don't know what the right phrasing is, but you can have, you can sort of be part of that journey together and really rely on those people for trusted advice and guidance. Um, so I think people absolutely were at the top of, um, our top of my list in terms of the most important thing to build in your career is build those relationships, you know, next to just learning yourself and, and sort of learning what you want to do. Um, and I think in terms of just tools, you know, I'm very much like an avid reader. I think there's, um, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, that just getting into that sense of consuming content and consuming information is so important for people, particularly early in their career, because you'll just get new opportunities will identify themselves to you. Um, something that I've always done, I guess, for the last five years or so is that I use this um, sort of tactical, tactical point, but I use this tool called Pocket, which is essentially a way for you to save articles online um, instead of having a million tabs open. And I, throughout the week, will find different articles, whether they're newsletters or I find them on my own from, you know, Fast Company, Inc., whatever it might be. And I save them all in this app. And then each Sunday I sit down and I try and just read through them. Um, And some of them are really deep, long articles about 
changing trends or it might be that's sort of in my wheelhouse right now. But what it does is just keeps the sense of constant like learning and sort of identifying opportunities and, and sort of seeing being almost, um, you know, up to speed or, or uh, on, on top of what's happening out there, which is where you find um, the opportunities, um, whether for your career or just people to meet or interesting mentors or whatever it might be. So I think those two parts of my life, the relationship building and then just learning um, and learning in, in a bunch of different ways have been most important to me. And there's so many different ways to learn and to connect with people. What's interesting is right now, it's particularly different to network, though, as many of us are cooped <laughs> up at home. Yes. And, and truthfully, you and I had met over Zoom as well through somebody we knew mutually in, in our lives as well. What would be your advice right now as the world has shifted to this virtual networking? How do you connect with people? How do you make those introductions, whether it be on LinkedIn, email, cold emailing, leveraging your network, but really to kind of connect with new people and expand your network so that way you could plant new seeds and, as you said, build that foundation for the future? Yeah, it's so true. It's such an interesting time right now. And, you know, I've talked to even my friends jokingly about this in the sense where it's kind of a no new friends time in the sense where it's really hard to, you know, make new friends, make new um, just relationships, business wise, whatever it might be. I think the, the thing on my mind is that um, relationships obviously take time. And if you can meet in person, that's great, obviously, but any kind of relationship is not just a, a one-off meeting. Um, that's really just a meeting with someone. That's a network opportunity. Um, relationships just take time. They take multiple conversations. They take you know, actual engagement and interest in what the other person is doing or building or whatever it might be. And so even if that happens, has to happen remotely, I think there's, there's no harm in starting to invest in some of those relationships now because... To your point, everyone is home. Everyone is looking to, um, you know, engage socially with others in some capacity and, and virtually is kind of the medium that we have right now. So I think the, the thing that I've been most focused on and, you know, we've been, you know, hyper-focused on growing our business during this time, but in terms of just meeting other folks, whether they're, you know, people in, in investors or other entrepreneurs or just people in this world who are interested in kind of what we're building or we're interested in what they're building, I think it comes from a place of really that interest and finding an article again or something where you learn about a different company or you learn about the mission of something um, and then reaching out to those people with not so much an agenda, but something to talk about, a reason why you want to engage with them. Because I think, um, you know, the casual conversations you have at a cocktail party are a lot harder to happen um, online. And so if you can have a, a reason, or at least that sort of um, the, the impetus to engage with someone, I think it can be a lot smoother in terms of just starting those relationships. And whether that's just reaching out on LinkedIn about something you saw or seeing that someone else is connected to them and you're interested in, you know, growing your network and, and learning more about what they're building or whatever it might be. Um, I think being able to be proactive during this time is really important as opposed to just kind of sitting on your laurels because there's so many interesting people to meet. And to be honest, what's so exciting about this moment is that, you know, if you're based in Chicago, the people you'd meet would probably be people in Chicago if you were, you know, out at different networking events or whatever it might be. But you can meet someone in Dubai right now. I mean, like the world is really your oyster. Everybody's home. Everyone's reachable via Zoom or, you know, any of these different tools. So in some ways, it's actually even better time to um, foster those new connections. But I think 
um, you know, this, the second piece there is just like follow up, um, being able to follow up via email, follow up with other interesting things you saw that are related to that person, you know, connecting them with someone who might be interesting for them to speak with, just trying to add value in some way, I think is really at the core to actually develop like a meaningful relationship during this time. It's interesting you say that it's actually easier right now to network and connect with people. And I couldn't agree with you more. And I'd actually encourage people to set a goal for themselves to network with maybe three to five people a month. It could be every three months, whatever that goal or realistic number is for you. It's incredibly valuable to continue building those relationships. And I've actually spoken with somebody recently and they said to me that, they realize it's easier to set up new conversations with more distant people or further out from your network because there's less of a commitment where you're going to a coffee or you're meeting for lunch. You could easily jump on a Zoom call and meet more people, expand your network. So it's a great opportunity, again, to do that during this period of time. What we had talked about as well is this notion that you and I have been relatively fortunate in different ways through our lives to either be able to attend college or, or grad school and really had different financial positions. And if this period of time has taught us anything is that there's so many different discrepancies in, in kind of uh, wealth gaps or economic gaps or information gaps. So we've talked about this idea of passing it forward and really helping people out and continuing their journey what does passing it forward mean to you? Yeah, so it's it's a great question. I think, um, you know, for context, I'm the oldest of three girls in my family. I'm the oldest sibling. And so I was very much the person who kind of had to experiment with things and, and was the guinea pig in many ways when it came to everything from career to, you know, the college application process or whatever it was. And so I think part of my natural tendency has always been that kind of pay it forward mentality just with my own family and with my siblings, since they were kind of coming up right after me um, with these different things. But I think in the professional sense, I have so been the beneficiary of people really just spending the time um, or, you know, actively taking an interest in what I've been doing or, or offering their own advice or, you know, again, time or whatever it might be or resources and connections to help me on my own journey. And so much of that, I think, is their mentality of paying it forward themselves and having been fortunate, as you described, to, um, you know, whatever it might be, be successful in their careers or be well-networked or be well-resourced or whatever it might be and sort of identifying opportunities and identifying opportunities for them specifically to be of help and to create value there. So um, I, I, I know for certain that um, I wouldn't be where I am right now if it weren't for sort of the key help of, you know, a handful of very, very dedicated mentors of mine who helped, who turned into investors, who've turned into advisors, who've just been lifelong friends, whatever it might be, who kind of just give first um, and, you know, create this sense of there's nothing required in return. They're just doing things sort of out of their own, um, out of their own desire to kind of move society forward through the lens of like that one person. Um, and I think the, you know, as part of our company's trajectory at Real World, we actually participated in Techstars, which is an accelerator program that um, has locations around the world, but we participated in the one in New York and their um, motto actually is give first. And I think the whole idea there, which I very much subscribe to, is that if you are constantly looking to help other people, 
um, or open to doing favors for people or making connections or, you know, providing feedback or whatever the ask is, it's going to come back around to you. And that's the best type of community you want to be part of. You want to be part of and, and thought of as someone who is a giver, not a taker, um, and who's always trying to, you know, support others and sort of raise them up um, because it just, particularly, you know, industry by industry, of course, it's different, but um, at least in entrepreneurship and in startups, like the world gets really small very quickly. And, and so much of what you're, um, what you are thought of is just your reputation and, and how you, um, you know, support the community and kind of help other people as they're trying to build their own businesses and their own visions as well. So I think pay it forward for me is, you know, on the one hand, I'm so grateful for others who have paid it forward. Um, and I try and do the same thing now, whether it's just mentoring a couple of different folks, um, you know, part-time or whenever someone reaches out, I always respond. Um, I think that that's something that is super, super important and kind of lost in society right now in terms of people get so many emails and requests and tweets and Instagrams and all these different things. But I really, really try, unless it is a totally random um, and sort of no agenda outreach, um, I always try and respond because I think it's just important to show that you respect other people's time and, um, and sort of give your time to other people to the extent that you can. I love that. And being part of a community that definitely is supportive and wants to pay back to people and really kind of teach, mentor, educate, and continue that pattern and rhythm is something that hopefully we can continue to foster as the world kind of evolves into this more open, more inclusive community. And there's still a long way to go. But as long as the dialogue is there and the support systems are there, I genuinely believe we'll get there. And that being said, you're talking about this idea of kind of giving it forward and, and paying people back. I want to expand on that a little bit as you started to develop real world the idea behind it was to help people early on again in their careers across a multitude of different avenues. And it just wasn't about the career side of things, but it was kind of more holistic and thinking about there's a big component to kind of personal finance and wealth management early on in our careers. Can you kind of unpack what that looks like, what that means to you and why it was so important to couple that with everything else that you're doing at real world. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, finances and, and getting the fundamentals right is so, 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 so important um, at any age, certainly, but particularly when you're starting out. And I think, you know, unfortunately our school systems um, have not done a great job of teaching the basics of personal finance to folks early in their lives, whether it's high school or college, you know, there's really not um, for the most part, except for I think a handful of states, any kind of mandated curriculum or mandated um, assessment to make sure that young people understand essentially the financial systems that they're going to be living in, um, which is pretty crazy, to be honest. Um, something I feel very, very passionate about, not only just because it's um, a glaring gap in our sort of society and, and the education system, but it's also something that personally affected me when I was starting out. Um, you know, I was really lucky, again, to have a great education and, and sort of check a lot of those boxes. But there were simple certain things that are certain simple things, I should say, that had I learned or had I known early could have set me up for success far greater in the long term. And I can even point to, you know, thousands of dollars that would be in my bank account now um, or be invested now, I should say, um, had I had more of a sense of credit and understanding, you know, how health insurance works financially and, and saving for retirement, IRAs and 401ks and all of these different things. 
And um, I look back and I realized that, you know, I was, again, super, super lucky in the sense that I had people around me that I could turn to who had been there before and who, you know, mentored me throughout that process, whether it was just my parents understanding, you know, the basics of, um, you know, setting up a 401k and things like that, or whether it was other people in my life who had been um, successful on their own and could kind of walk me through it. But the reality is like most people don't have that. Um, and most people who are high achieving, who are, you know, coming up through society now, they don't have necessarily access to someone who can really walk them through not even financial, you know, wealth management, but just the basics of credit and debt and understanding how credit cards work and how dangerous they can be if you use them improperly, but how much of a, um, you know, huge tool they can be to help you build sustainable credit long-term if you use them effectively. So I, I feel really strongly about this space. I think it is a problem that no one company certainly can solve. You know, we're trying to do everything we can from kind of the financial literacy perspective, but it's really something that structurally our government probably needs to take on at some point to really ensure that the next generation and other generations after that have a sense as to the systems that they will be living in and this sort of the world that they'll be they'll be operating in there. So I think in terms of young people, the advice that I would give just from the very, very basics is really understand from the start a budget. Understand, you know, what's coming in, what's going out, um, and how to start thinking about having more of a saving and investing mindset as early as possible in your career so that you can set yourself up for success later. Um, and whether that's, you know, understanding how credit cards work and how you can start building credit for long-term success so that you can buy a home one day and have good credit or, you know, even lease an apartment in places like New York where they certainly check your credit score and, and it's sort of part of the determinative application process. But in the very beginning, just educating yourself on these different topics. And you can certainly go to real world. We can help you figure that out there. Um, but just having a sense as to the very fundamentals and basics. And I think one step up from that is this idea of saving for retirement and taking advantage of this really kind of magical concept called compounding interest, which um, without going you know, too much into it, essentially is the idea that the earlier you start saving in a tax advantaged account, so something like you know, a 401k or an IRA, the more money you'll have over time because you're building off of that initial base that you put in there. So the person who starts saving for retirement at 22 versus at 30 will ultimately have far more money in their account um, if they put in the same amount over time, just given the, the realities of this, con this financial construct and concept. So I think one of the biggest things is when you are starting out, getting it just a lay of the land in a sense as to what these different types of financial products and, and sort of opportunities are so that you can take advantage of them is really, really critical. Um, and just being very careful and smart to um, make sure you don't get into debt. Um, you know, if it's student loan debt that you have, that's a totally different sort of, um, that's what they call it, like good debt. That's debt that's getting you somewhere else versus credit card debt that's really um, not helpful in any way. Um, but sort of figuring out how you're thinking about debt and, and ensuring that you're really paying attention to that credit um, score as you get older um, and starting to think about retirement are sort of the, the three major buckets I would, I would encourage young people to think about. Um, but lots, lots more at realworldplaybook.com if you're interested. <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of people who are interested and I cannot wait until our government takes a stance on kind of teaching people the importance of money management. Um, because again, I think a lot of what we're seeing with companies right now is a reflection of the individuals that operate those companies and their personal understanding around 
personal finances and how to manage money. And that's just the reflection that's exacerbated a little bit more in this company lens. Um, so the earlier our governments can take a stance on kind of tweaking the education system very early on, um, the better I think the country will be as a whole. I know it's a bold statement, but um, it's it's definitely something that's top of mind for many people right now. And I'm glad there's a lot more information out there, what you've built out. There's a lot of money management tools, newsletters that are out there that are certainly instrumental in kind of helping people. I'm curious, what are some of your favorite money management tools that you're currently using or have used in the past? There's no one, you know, best tool out there. I think for different people, different things work really effectively. The most basic thing that I use is just Mint, the um, the Intuit product, which kind of gives you a full sense of your, um, you know, money landscape, what's coming in, what's going out, how your, your credit cards are synced, your bank accounts, your investments, everything. So you can kind of get kind of a nice visual picture of what your net worth looks like and also just how much money you're spending on different things. I mean, that's one of the most basic things of budgeting is that if you start realizing you're spending a ton of money on Ubers or a ton of money on, um, you know, Sweetgreen or whatever it might be, you can just get a sense as to how you want to prioritize your spend. And so an app like that has been really helpful for me to just stay on track of that and, and try and set budgets for myself, but more importantly, really just understand where the money is going. Um, so that I would say is sort of first level. The second is um, I think robo advisors have been, uh, you know, hugely growing in the last couple of years. And these are, you know, IRA oriented products as well as just investment accounts um, that are automated. Um, and so companies like Betterman and Wealthfront stand out there. Um, I opened a Betterment account a couple of years ago, and it was super helpful. It's been an amazing way to just, again, have a cost-effective um, way to invest and, and to have an IRA that is um, you know, growing over time and, and sort of that real tech-enabled solution um, that is, I think, probably in many ways the future of finance. So those two products come to mind just as basic financial tools to, to use. But I think at the very minimum, just having a personal finance app, a budget app, whether it's even, you know, something like personal capital or you need a budget or, or any of those different ones is paramount. I agree with you that Betterment and Wealthfront, other robo-advisors are certainly taking off. I believe they kind of evolved through the last recession in 2008. And there's been a heavy inflow of investors who want a safe, reliable, but kind of diversified way of investing. So it's a great place to start as you're thinking about your early days of investing until maybe you start to learn particular stocks, ETFs, mutual funds, there's so many different ways to get started and really see that compound interest grow. Once you figured out, okay, I have my Intuit app uh, using Mint and there's plenty of other ones like personal capital and so forth, but once you figure out, this is how much I'm spending, this is how much I want to save, this is how much I want to invest or putting into particular different types of accounts, there's this idea that every dollar needs a home. And I'm curious, what does that mean to you? And where do most of your dollars find a home usually? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, um, probably like most people right now, um, my finances have very much shifted in the sense of, you know, from the spending perspective, um, there's, you know, the, the patterns of the habits that you form, whether it's going, getting lunch, you know, on the work day, or even just taking the subway or taking Ubers or whatever it might be so much of that has stopped. And so, um, I'd say all of that's kind of in flux on my end, but, 
Um, when it comes to every dollar needing a home, I think the whole idea around that is just being purposeful with where you're putting your money. And if you want to spend a ton of money on Ubers, great. That's going to be part of your lifestyle. And, and that's an efficient way to get from A to B. That's awesome. But just recognize that, um, you know, maybe you won't be spending quite as much on your living situation, for example, or on travel or on any of those different um, other buckets that you might be able to allocate funds to. So that's really what that concept means to me. Um, I think on my end, you know, honestly, so much of my um, of my monthly budget beyond just, you know, food, groceries, living expenses in a place like New York goes to travel. Um, I'm really big travel oriented person. I try and take a couple trips a year to the extent I can. And I'm willing to sacrifice on other um, aspects of my life when it comes to, you know, like buying clothes or any of those sorts of entertainment expenses to really put money towards travel. So um, that's another area that is sort of diminished right now, just given everything that's happening with COVID. But um, I typically see some of my budget go that way. And then, of course, I think that the other big thing to remember, again, back to just the, the financial fundamentals, is that when you think about the money you have to spend, you really want to look at the money that is left over after you've already, quote unquote, like paid yourself. So whether that is, um, you know, paying into your retirement account, um, if it's taken directly out of your paycheck, like a 401k, or if you're separately making those contributions through an IRA or, or another type of investment vehicle, um, whether it's, uh, you know, taking out your healthcare expenses, sort of the very fundamental necessities that you need. Um, rent expense, et cetera. And then really looking at what's left and saying, okay, of the X amount of money that I have here, how much of this is going into savings? How much of this is going into things that I want? And how much of this is going into things that I really need in additional? Um, so using strategies, even like the 50, 30, 20 strategy, um, which sort of divides up, um, I believe it's 50% going towards needs, 30% towards wants, and then 20% towards kind of paying yourself, saving, et cetera, each month. Um, it's just a great way to organize that framework. What's important there ultimately is this idea of having a budget and a principle to live by. And there's a lot of different methodologies to allocate personal funds. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people have a tendency to live outside their means so if there's one takeaway that you could provide for the overall audience, what would it be around kind of changing that mindset or the habits people might have established or some of the bad principles that they've been taught? What would be your recommendation to shift how people think? The headline is just don't. Don't spend more than you have. Um, and to the extent that that is possible for you and really look at where your money is coming from and where it's going and to the extent you can make that decision for yourself, because um, even if that means cutting back on things that you might think of as necessities for the time being, um, but, you know, being something that you can really do without for even just a couple of months to start building more of that like financial foundation for yourself it's worth it in the long run to not get into debt, into credit card debt, into, you know, all of these other things that really mess you up long-term. And then I think the other thing too is, you know, look at where your money is coming in. Um, if you are working at a job that maybe is not paying you a good enough salary or you're not able to make as much money there, look at other ways to get money in the door. Um, whether it's gigs that you can sign up for, so even things like DoorDash, Uber, you know, um, Postmates, any of those different types of companies that are kind of, um, gigs or side hustles if you have a different skill set that you can use so even freelance designing or you know coding or whatever it might be or writing on the side figuring out how to look at this equation of things coming in things going out and just make sure that um, you're you're sort of maximizing what's coming in as well as just being careful of what's going out so I think 
that mentality of just looking at both ends of the spectrum as opposed to this being a full, um, you know, unchangeable pie of money that you're dividing up. See if you can grow that pie. See if you can, and you know, think about that in different ways. Out of everything you've learned throughout your kind of understanding of finances and money management, are there any books that you'd recommend to really help people get started as they think about the money management process? Hmm. I don't have one that comes to mind, to be honest. I mean, there's always like the Susie Orman books. There's so many kind of classic books, you know, I'll teach you how to be rich, all of those types of um, just iconic books about finances. But I think, you know, to be honest, I've found so much help and so many just tools and resources through online articles too. Um, you know, whether it's looking at companies like NerdWallet or The Balance or Smart Asset or others who've broken down some of these larger financial concepts into, you know, not so much tooling necessarily, but kind of like these longer form articles. I think getting a sense as to um, some of these bigger concepts through the, that lens is always really helpful um, in terms of educating yourself there. Um, I'd also say there's tons of like personal finance courses online. Like again, our, our product does a lot of that, but in much more bite-sized pieces. So as you're actually making these different decisions, but if you wanted to sit down and just learn about sort of the basics of finances and even accounting and just understanding kind of financials more generally, there's so many tools and resources. Um, so I couldn't point to one, but, um, there's certainly a plethora out there. Um, I think it's important to just make sure that whatever you're reading, number one, it's from, you know, a trusted person, but number two, that it's really focused on your age range. Cause I think finances really, um, whether it's your risk tolerance or just your, your mindset or your ability from an income perspective to have more financial freedom, um, really changes over time, depending on your own financial situation, you know, how old you are, your risk tolerance, et cetera, again. So making sure that you're reading things that are really targeted towards you at that moment and, and sort of that life stage that you're in is really important. I like that because as the world again has shifted, there are so many different ways to consume information. Books are certainly one avenue, but with the abundance of information online right now and this growing population of tools that exist, there are definitely different ways to consume that information and one size certainly does not fit all. So Genevieve, uh, as we kind of come to a close, we always end on the hot seat. And my intention is to ask you a couple of fun and engaging questions that may or may not stump you. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. First question, if you had to describe Bitcoin to your grandparents, what would you tell them? <laughs> um, I'd say a more, it was number one, it may or may not have been a huge fad, but it is something that is more secure oriented um, currency of sorts um, that allows you to trade. I don't know what the right word is, but trade value in a different way. <laughs> not a great answer. Haven't spent a ton of time on Bitcoin. Hey, uh, I think most grandparents would, wouldn't really even understand kind of digital currency as a whole. So <laughs> that's, that's a good start. Uh, I think as we think about, and we've talked about this a little bit before, this idea of retirement and saving for it, but personally for you, what does retirement really mean and look like? Um, so I am one of those people who kind of never wants to retire. Um, I don't think I, I always want to be working at like, you know, eight to six type of job, but I always want to be doing something, building something, advising people, whatever it might be. Um, so I think my 
my ideal is that I've, you know, by the time I'm of more of that retirement age, I've built some interesting businesses, ideally been part of other people helping them with their, you know, growth of their businesses, ideally done some work in terms of that public service sort of desire I've always had to kind of make an impact there. And then probably honestly spending a lot of time paying it forward, whether it's um, investing in people who are building businesses or, um, you know, taking the you know lessons or network I've built and, and sort of paying it forward to other people. But I don't plan on ever just sitting on a beach in Boca and hanging out. <laughs> I couldn't imagine that for you. Anyone with great <laughs> ambitions certainly wants to continue building and helping and mentoring people. And I certainly would love to see you continue that um, as we all age and progress throughout our lives. One final question for you, given your personal passion for national security, if you had to choose to join one agency, whether it be the FBI or CIA, which one would you choose and why? Just between those two? Yep. Interesting. Um, I think they're both doing really important work. I would say CIA because I love to travel and I love to have that more <laughs> sort of foreign focus, but um, but they're both pretty exciting places I'd imagine to be. Uh, I feel like if you were in the CIA, it would be a great <laughs> job for you, probably because you're so methodical and thoughtful about the approach, but your passion for traveling is certainly a huge component to it, though it might be a little bit dangerous. <laughs> Thanks, Edward. Genevieve, it was a pleasure chatting with you today. There's so much that you've accomplished throughout your career and the wisdom that you share is imperative for people to learn and kind of walk away with. Your platform, Real World, certainly helps people start their kind of career and understanding around personal finances, money management tools, and so forth. Thank you for coming on the show and chatting with us today. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Edward. This was wonderful. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Career Meets World podcast. I would love to get to meet you. There are a couple of ways we can connect. You know I love my LinkedIn. Simply search for Career Meets World or Edward Gorbis and feel free to connect. Second is via Instagram at Career Meets World. And third is through our website. I have a special spot for you full of fun, free resources. All you have to do is go to careermeetsworld.com, subscribe to our newsletter, and we'll provide you the free resources to help you boost your career and reach financial freedom. And if this podcast was helpful to you in any way, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts. This helps us help more people. Simply tap the rate with five stars and leave a sentence with what you liked about the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Remember, strengthening your growth mindset is your ticket to success. I'm Edward Gorbis, and we'll catch you on next week's episode.